This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Zach Meir. And I'm Catherine Nealon. On this week's show... Justin Urquhart-Stewart from Seven Investment Management. Since I've been uh, in the market, I can't remember how many times I've been asked to go and buy shares in Debenhams in various forms. It comes back on a regular basis, every time with more and more debt on it. Richard Perks, Director of Retail Research at market intelligence agency Mintel. I don't think the high street's in trouble, actually. I think what we've seen is particular problems in businesses that have been badly run. No retailer is going to survive if it thinks that the its future lies in the sort of stuff it was selling 30 years ago. And breaking news and communities editor at City AM, Catherine Neal. Welcome to City AM Unregulated. bit of a shake-up in today's lineup. No Emma Hazlitt. Instead, we're joined by Catherine Nealon, the City AM Breaking News and Communities Editor. Welcome. So a difficult week for the high street, yet another one. In what was the biggest loss since Woolworths, the 88-year-old British home stores called in the administrators. But not only them. Austin Reed also fell by the wayside. And it's even been a difficult week for Home Retail Group, which was highly sought after at the beginning of the year. What do you make of all this, Zach? It seems as though all we know is that British Home Stores has gone down, but it's the repercussions of all of this which are the real uh, issue and the problem to solve. Well, as it stands, we know that there have been around 50 expressions of interest in the business. What we don't know is whether any of them are for the business as a whole. I suspect it's unlikely at this stage um, and far more likely for businesses to perhaps be picking through the bones a bit getting the best properties, maybe the brand. But I don't think we'll see BHS as it was on our high street for much longer. But luckily, they only had to sell it for more than a pound to actually get money back on their investment. I'm not sure it's quite that straightforward. I think probably a bit more has gone into the business than that. Um, the other thing was the pension fund. I mean, it's I think it's £571 million pounds is uh, uh, the black hole there is that amount. Um, Sir Philip Green, he might have, you know, like, you know, put in maybe 100 million, 200 million, something like that to uh, uh, cover that loss? Yeah, we're not quite sure how much he's going to have to stump up now. Um, there have been various numbers sort of thrown around 40 million and 80 million. Uh, what we do know is that um, the Arcadia boss is going to be uh, summoned or called in, invited is the, is the way it's been expressed by the politicians, um, to appear uh, in front of not one but two select committees. Well, he might have to say he's feeling a bit ill or something. Do a sickie, I think, might be the right thing to do but uh, I think the I mean, fact that they've been trying to get Mike Ashley in for the last year and a half and not not got anywhere suggests that retailers don't have to go if retailers don't want to go. Well joining us now to chew through this are Justin Urquhart-Stewart from Seven Investment Management and Richard Perks, Director of Retail Research at Mintel. I suppose it was actually lucky for BHS that it was part of um, Philip Green's Arcadia. Uh, it, it probably would have gone down 10 or 15 years ago, uh, previously, if he hadn't been involved. Uh, but I mean, what do you think, Richard Perks? No, I don't think I don't buy that argument at all. I think it was very bad luck that it became part of Arcadia because it just sat there. What it needed 15 years ago was retail vision and some new ideas to reconfigure it for the way that the market was changing, and it just didn't happen. I mean, there was a great opportunity at that end of the market 15 years ago, uh, CNA had just left. Littlewoods was just about to pull out. Primark was virtually unheard of. 
he could have done something with that business. But what did he do? He took a huge dividend and he just let it drift. He did absolutely nothing. But isn't the con- wasn't the concept uh, dead already? I mean, it was like, it's like NAF fashion. It was NAF no. sheet. It was never been that. hasn't been good for 30 years. I don't buy that at all. I mean, if you look at the ranges that M&S was selling 20 years ago, if they were selling those now, you'd say the same thing. Any retailer has got to change and has got to adapt to what's happening on the high street. And BHS just didn't do it. It ended up drifting, ageing with its customer base and the losses accumulated. So the best case scenario is that it would have become a a Primark, let's say. It needed some new idea, some direction. I mean, the success of Primark is quite phenomenal over the last 15 years. And so, yes, there was that opportunity there. But that doesn't mean that BHS couldn't have come up with a viable format for that lower end of the mass market which would have traded quite successfully. Do you think there's any any hope now? Is is there a chance of somebody taking that brand and making it trendy? I can't see BHS becoming trendy as such. I I, I think any brand is rescuable. I mean, I know that BHS has drifted a long way down, but retail acquisitions have spent a year in there. It has presumably come up with a new format. It's got new ideas of what that business needs to do, and. Perhaps it just needed longer. I mean, it didn't have enough time and it didn't have enough cash to do whatever it was planning. I know that the guy in charge is now thinking of possibly trying to do a buyout again. Uh, So perhaps he has got new ideas. I don't think any retail brand is beyond being rescued. Uh, Though it's going to be an uphill struggle for BHS. Justin, is there a stock market take on this? Well, when you look at some of these ones disappearing that, frankly, probably is, uh, should go, but you look at it, it's not always just uh, fashion fads. Sometimes it's technology that bypasses some of these stores. You only have to look back at the likes of things like Blockbuster, that, uh, well, whoever had a VHS tape any longer or even CDs? So that all got passed by. Now, a lot of a theme, I think, where you find with some of the retail outlets where I see some of the death of them comes down to some of their funding as well and the joys of the private equity market. And private equity divides into two groups, as far as I'm concerned. You've got the white knights who are there to try and do something creative and constructive and help the business. And then you've got the dark knights who are very happy to laden them up with debt and see some assets and or cash, which they feel they can actually get on the cheap. Dare I say, good heavens, it might be some asset stripping, but I might have to go and wash my mouth out. Catherine, do you think there's a, an answer in all of this um, online? I think it's more than that, actually. BHS really needed a bigger overhaul. Um, you know, you can't sell a rubbish product online just because it's online you need to make sure that what you've got is good to start with um and actually i'd slightly disagree with richard um on the point of of retail acquisitions having a plan um i think it's sort of well known that actually um philip green turned down an awful lot of um far more experienced uh, bids bidders um that could have actually done something with bhs um you know the south african billionaire christo rice was was sort of quite keen to, to get in on, on the action and, and there were others as well as him um, and they were turned down in favour of someone who has no retail experience and from what I understand didn't really put together a particularly uh, concrete business plan. Um, so you wanted it to fail? Well, I couldn't say that um, but it doesn't sound as though um, that the the people that he chose for whatever reason um, really had the, the, the experience and, and the nous that needed to turn something around, uh, which is a shame on a kind of nostalgic uh, level. And, and obviously it's very sad for the people working there. But, you know, 
arguably would it have been harder work to turn it around at that stage you know that the stores are so tired the product again it, it it needs someone to really come in and transform it and that's an awful lot of work justin well, one of the areas I'm concerned about is actually just the, the pension issues as well. You've not just got 11,000 people there, you've got 20,000 people who are entitled to pensions. And so now we see we've got a, a big black hole, not uncommon in uh, companies with their, with their pension pots, but as you then have this company changing hands and no one has been talking about the pension pot when their pension trustees should have been. They have an obligation to look after the people who put sometimes their life savings into this thing and only to find it's uh, disappearing down the swanee uh, along with their savings. Trustees are there to take responsibility. They have a responsibility and often a liability, sometimes personal liability. And so as well as actually finding out who's uh, responsible for this going so horribly wrong, I would actually like to see the pension trustees form up and say, well, what have you done to try and actually help the people who have got uh, some benefit in that value? Well, if, if, from what you say, the pension trustees uh, would be liable um, if the, the pension fund uh, got into trouble, and even then they were asleep at the wheel. So that doesn't make much, doesn't make much sense. I mean, they're obviously incompetent or... Um, well, I mean, it's asleep. Yeah, well, asleep, incompetence, whatever. But it may be too late for this one. But let it be a lesson for everybody else looking at pensions. And if you're a pension trustee, and heaven forfend, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, but you have a responsibility, and therefore you should go in and try and do something about it. Nothing is not acceptable, I'm afraid. But the other point with this uh, episode is it, it looks as though um, Philip Green was uh, milking uh, the... Um, um, BHS over the years by dividends and payouts uh, for the wife and the yachts and everything else and I'm interested to know what type of yacht what the, where, where'd you get that yacht from, the yeah. £100 million yacht? But, um, not BHS I don't think. Obviously not, so maybe they should change the business model. Uh, but he, he, he did that, there was no, he, he was taking lots of money out, like, let's say £1.3 or whatever the figure is, or a billion pounds um, if he'd taken out only half of that, uh, kept and the pension fund had been uh, kept buoyant uh, BHS would not be in the position it's in at the moment. Ah, now that's interesting. To what extent did he not put sufficient monies into the pension fund? Or did he actually take money from the pension fund? Well, we don't know. We're going to have to find out. This is where you need a lot more information to see, are we looking at a prospective Maxwell case here? Or are we just seeing sort of management incompetence, if you're being polite, or management just the ignorance of uh, what they, their rights and obligations should be to their uh, employees. But presumably the, the, the retail, retail acquisitions, um, this Chappelle character, was looking to do the same uh, with uh, BHS that um, Sir Philip had done. He doesn't look as though he's got a great track record when it comes to these sort of things, to say the least. Um, so uh, all the more reason for giving this as much publicity as possible, because I suspect there goes BHS, there go probably some others as well. So let's actually have a look to see how many others are in trouble and whether they need action on their pension funds as well to protect those employees and ex-employees. Well, I mean, the final point is probably that uh, if Philip Green couldn't make a go of BHS, would you really want to be a buyer of that business? Uh, not even, even, even for a pound? I, I don't buy the idea that Philip Green's a great retailer. I think everything points to him being a great trader and making a lot of money for himself. But his record in retailing is pretty awful because BHS isn't the only thing. The rest of the Arcadia Group, what's he done for that? I mean, we know that Topshop's doing very well, but when he wanted to raise money to expand Topshop, he sold off as part of Topshop, not one of the other chains. Presumably they weren't worth anything. I've actually met uh, Sir Philip uh, one, on one occasion in uh, Dorothy Perkins. 
I won't tell you what I was doing there at the time, but I was actually uh, I was there waiting, and I saw him doing a stock take. So he obviously was very um, hands-on as far as, you know, he wasn't actually in Monaco all the time. He was actually very hands-on as far as making sure that everything was right in terms of the offering and everything else. But still, even with that hands-on approach, he wasn't able to to make a success of it. It's not just the accountant side of things. It's getting the right merchandise in there for the right people at the right time. And that's where he failed. And that's where he's failing now. I mean, the merchandise is it's just not appealing. He was very good with size 9 and size 10 women's shoes. So he got that right. And there's a lot of demand for that. He's very good with with models as well. A lot of those seem to be around. Yes, he's good with models as well. Catherine? Richard's absolutely right. Um, You know, Philip is a good trader and Topshop is undeniably a huge success and a great British brand Um, but you look beyond that and there is really not much to to speak of and and there's an argument there for for the sort of entrepreneurial spirit of the the kind of founder businessman kind of taking a step back and actually delegating and I think I can't imagine Philip Green being big on delegation but I mean he bought established businesses he didn't build any of these up he took them over as going concerns, already established. And that's where he's failed, to my mind. He hasn't driven them forward. He hasn't adapted them to current conditions. Right, so, so what, what's going to happen now? I mean, we've got, we have these periodic um, uh, brands going down. I think it's part, of the, it's part of the high street history and evolution. I mean, this is always going to happen. Um, presumably, some of these, um, the highly trained operatives at BHS will go on to uh, other equivalent uh, employment and, and and be very happy. So that so that's okay. But is is it? You know, I, I mentioned online. There's obviously online, but you know, everybody's in online already. Let's say there's there's a lot of that. Uh, most well, major change. which is the interesting <laughs> anomaly, and they're you know, arguably one of the strongest brands on the high street at the moment. It just goes to show that if you have a if you have a great proposition, you can undercut the the kind of established players and 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 people will come to you. They they're not necessarily just floating buyers. I think it's a big mistake to look at online as an independent channel. Online complements the store offer. It works with it. It doesn't work against it. And it should be a necessary part of the armory of any retailer. Arguably Primark should be online. Um uh, but, uh, you know, it's not – the answer isn't to go online. The answer is if you're a successful retailer, you've got to have online as well. But I thought also with clothes, not that I'm any particular expert on these things, isn't it also – it's all very well seeing them online. You also actually want to go and see and touch them and I try them on, and you can't do that on right. your computer. But that's where groups like ASOS really come into their mm. own because it's about ease. And, and I, as a, as a customer, know that if I buy something from ASOS and it doesn't look how it looked online, it doesn't fit properly or I just don't like it, I can return it, no questions asked. Um, they are one of the, the sort of the best at that. They have a, a, one of the best customer experiences. You can return it to a, a sort of post office or any kind of you, you know affiliate company and it's very easy. At the other end of the spectrum, you have companies that charge for delivery, charge for return, won't accept it if it's, you know, if it doesn't tick this box or that box. And after you've done it once and you've been stung, you're not going to do it again. Um, increasingly, are we going to see more of this changing with the likes of now Argos delivering and everybody else trying to deliver, make it easier, more like ASOS? Well, potentially, but we have also seen an increase in the number of firms actually charging for deliveries. Really? So um, John Lewis and Debenhams both now charging for click and collect if it doesn't uh, go above a certain amount of uh, uh, cash. I can't remember exactly what the amount is. 
um, because you know the economies of scale are such that if they're just if people are just buying you know a glass or something uh, small items then then obviously they have to shoulder a lot of, a lot more cost than they were they were doing so previously uh, Catherine you've, you've written an article about you know BHS being uh, possibly more significant than the decline of Woolworths what's what's your sort of angle on that do you think that it's uh, it's this will just be a sort of one week wonder or or you know as as or as you're implying this this could be in a turning point for years to come the difference between woolworths and bhs was really that woolworths was sort of a, a throwback um and and just there were, it was very little about it that could have survived in the 21st century whereas bhs actually had the opportunity if 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 things had been done properly a few years ago it it could have been a sort of house of fraser debenhams type that could have actually you know i mean if you think it was it started to to really sort of crumble just as the recession kicked off now that's when people really should be trading down and shopping at places like bhs finding the bargains and if they'd have carved out their own niche then they they could have done that successfully but they haven't done and although it's it's a smaller business than 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 woolies you know actually what it says about what's happening on the high street could be more significant you know i mean i wrote that the day before austin reed went under so and and some of the people that i spoke to predicted that there could be more fashion retail casualties and and it didn't take long for that to 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 happen Richard? You know, uh, look, there's a human tragedy in all this, and so this is going to sound incredibly brutal. But retailing is free market economics in action, and it's ruled by consumers. If you don't have what consumers want, then they're not going to go there. And that's what happened to Woolies. It's what's happened to BHS. And actually, the high street is a far better place now than it was uh, for the absence of Woolies. Woolies has been replaced by what Woolies should have been doing. People like Poundland, B&M, those discounters, that's exactly the market that Woolies should have been in and should have been able to tackle. But it didn't for all sorts of reasons. I'm old, too ossified, not willing to change, all the usual things. And I think much the same is true of BHS. There is a space there in the market that is, you know, who is serving that lower middle mass market and doing it well? It's where BHS should be. Mm. And I think the rot set in long, long before the onset of recession, long before Philip Green took over. As long as I've been following retail, which is actually quite a long time now, BHS has been a business that's been struggling. In the old days, it sat between M&S and CNA and Littlewoods and couldn't really establish itself well. When they went, it had the opportunity, but it just didn't take it. Don't you think that um, you know maybe that that era of you know crimping trousers and you know uh, nylon ties, all the stuff that I, I wear a regular basis, that's that's gone now, and it's actually people have, well, have actually become gone. more sophisticated, and they don't they don't actually you know they don't actually want that sort of gear anymore. BHS doesn't have to sell that. I mean, BHS has got to adapt. M and S would have sold that in those days, but it doesn't anymore for all its faults. I mean, at least it's done that. Um, so yeah, I mean, no retailer is going to survive if it thinks that the its future lies in the sort of stuff it was selling 30 years ago. Of course it doesn't. So basically this is Darwinian principle survival of the fittest, nothing so. more or less than that, yeah. and we should just sort of you, get You don't it. see it in many sectors of the economy, but it's alive and well in retailing. Right, just the, the, the question for, uh, for, for Justin. And BHS, uh, a private company, it was, um, so it's milk dry, but uh, something like that. Um, 
Could that have happened uh, with a public company? There are some uh, interesting examples going around. Since I've been uh, in the market, I can't remember how many times I've been asked to, to go and buy shares in Debenhams in various forms. It comes back on a regular basis, every time with more and more debt on it. So someone else has bought it, taken more money out of it, laden more debt on it, and come back and said, here's a stonking good store for you to buy again. That was the name I was actually going to think. You know, you, you read my mind. Debenhams, to me, and BHS are two equivalent brands, but Debenhams is still there, and 1970s throwback, and, and uh, BHS is just gone. And you can sort of add almost House of Fraser to that as well. These sort of big names, you see them occasionally on the adverts at Christmas. But I can't remember the last time I actually went into one. I'm going to pretend that Richard is nodding with us, but no, he's I'm not actually, actually nodding at all. Um, did a fantastic job before at the, um, the, the asset stripping buy-in. And since then, it's really struggled. But the, the concept is great. All those own brands, properly departmentalised. Mm-hmm. It needs money spending on the stores. It's not doing that badly, to be fair. It's not in BHS class at all. House of Fraser is doing really, really well. It's a house of brands. It's, its own brands are terrific, really complementary to the brand of merchandise. It's going great guns. It's the, you know, it actually outperformed John Lewis at Christmas. And, of course, now that it's owned by a rich Chinese yes. uh, conglomerate, <laughs> that means there's plenty of money to invest into it, and they love the fact that there's a, a sort of iconic British brand that they... Mm. they can own and operate. Well, that reminds me, the next one to go down should be Burberry's then, shouldn't it? Uh, but, Justin, you, you managed, you managed to sh- uh, you know, slide away from my, from my, from my question. The, the, uh, Philip Green clearly took a little bit more out of BHS than, it, mm. than, than was good for the company. But, you know, there's no actual, there's nothing set in stone. I mean, it's up to, it's up to the owner of a company in that situation yeah, to take, take as what much as like. what they like. But so, in a public company, that's when you actually then should get kickback. And all my, my problem all too often is shareholders are, are wimps and won't kick back, whether it's in terms of how much the directors are paying themselves, and some of it is absolutely outrageous, or in terms of what they're doing in terms of things such as buying shares back, which is a euphemism for actually increasing the executive share option scheme, as opposed to handing money back to, to shareholders. So, you know, it is uh, one of the things people ought to be doing when they're investing is actually look to the finance of a company. How is it being financed? Where's its capital coming from? And therefore, what is it designed to do? Is it there just merely to feed uh, some rather greedy private equity and venture capital people? And you're just being, you're the uh, final uh, person at the end of it who's actually just passing the money over? Or are you in partnership here whereby you're expected to give a return, get a return on your investment over time? If that's what investors need to do, and think very carefully. Some companies you shouldn't be touching. Yes, Richard, you're the, uh, the retail guru, retail sector guru. Is it something which uh, you have a cure for? I don't think the high street's in trouble, actually. I think what we've seen is particular problems in businesses that have been badly run. Actually, if anything, um, the high street's in better shape now than it's been for a long time. Online and the high street really work well together. We are seeing a drift of population back into inner cities. People are shopping more on an as-needs basis um, and... So that you know, they're going to the high street. So we're seeing food coming back onto the high street. We're seeing DIY coming back onto the high street. The threat, if such it is, from online is massively overstated. Online accounts for about five... The pure players in online account for about 5%, 6% of all retail sales, which is roughly what mail order accounted for back in the pre-internet days. Uh, no, I think the high street is great. If any sector has a problem in the medium term, it's probably out of town, but not the high street. Wait a there's so many, head, there's so many uh, headwinds, so many problems here. There's business rates, there's the minimum wage, which has uh, been an excuse to, uh, uh, you know, uh, to get rid of some people. The cynic in me would say they get passed on to the consumer. <laughs> Justin? 
you only have to look at the new businesses coming through. Now, a lot of them won't actually appear in the sort of the quoted world, um, but whether they're pop-up businesses or um, just other smaller ideas, fundamentally in Britain, we've changed over the past few years. Last year, the number of business startups was over 600,000. Now, only a proportion of those will be retail. But people are now going out, coming up with new ideas, and whether they're online or whether they're in a pop-up shop or things, this is fascinating. Much more dynamism. Now, whether that comes into the high streets or not, I presume some of it will. I hope it does, because you go to the markets and you go to the stalls, they're still very vibrant. Isn't that the answer also uh, by a sort of side route of, of this, of the fat cat uh, pay disaster that we have at the moment that don't don't get mad about it set up your own company and become your own fat cat go and do it go and set up your own you don't always have to have uh, flash red braces to go and do it uh, Catherine um well i would agree that i don't think it's the end of the high street um but i do think that there are still some pretty strong challenges out there that that uh, will maybe weed out some of the weaker businesses um and perhaps could sort of harm some of the ones that are always struggling. But if I've got a, a Zach Mir shirt uh, offering online, uh, it might cost, you know, the shirt can cost £20. If it's if there's a shop in the high street, I have to pass on the cost. It has to be £30 there. I don't think that's true, actually. I, th- I think it's going to be increasingly difficult for the online players to major on price. The problem with trading online is that you have to pay for every visit to that store. Uh, you've got to pay for it through marketing because otherwise no one will know about your your online outlet. Stores are their own marketing. I think we're seeing that it's no longer really possible to major on price online, not in a, any viable long-term sense. So Primark's um, edge is, is actually being it's all, o- offline. It's all about quality and value for money these days. People are not stupid. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm sure we could go on for hours, but let's call it quits there for another episode of City AM Unregulated. With thanks to Justin Urquhart-Stewart and Richard Perks and Catherine Nealon, this has been City AM Unregulated. City AM Unregulated is an Audio Boom production.